0: I bring greetings to you all, in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Merry Christmas. I can hear you. Wonderful. I believe we are all looking forward to the new year with joy and expectations. And I believe to your Christmas went well. I give God the praise for this opportunity to actually look into the Word of God together this morning. It's a very demanding passage, and a very demanding one indeed. We have all our views. About this passage but either way we understand it in terms of the way our worldviews has affected us in terms of the ways our thinkings, our emotions, our feelings and our motives will allow us to read into this scripture today wanting that is clear is that we have a common ground to operate, and that is in the Word of God. I will be bringing message this morning from the book of Matthew, chapter seven. Matthew chapter seven, and we are going to read through the first seven. I mean the first six verses, from verse one to verse six. And here we find the teaching of the Lord concerning judgment, or how we judge each other. Turn to Matthew with me, chapter 7, verse 1 through 6, and I will read while we go into the message. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you seek the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is the log in your own eye. You hypocrites. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them under food. And turn to attack you. Please join me in prayers. Father, we are in your word, and we pray, Lord, in heaven that you open our hearts, you open our eyes, and you open our ears. What we do not know, help us to know. What we do not understand, help us to understand. Spirit of the Lord, have your way in our midst, and use your word to help us see ourselves the way you see us. May we be willing, as you bring conviction to our hearts, to lay our hearts and our lives just as it is, that we might experience mercy and grace through your forgiveness and through your grace. We trust you, Lord, in heaven to help us that we will leave this place not the same way we came, for we know your Spirit is here to do what we cannot do for ourselves. Thank you, blessed Redeemer. We ask all this with thanksgiving. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Maybe I will introduce my message with this brief story. I remember as a young pastor in training. Now, by definition, the nature of the program, then that was home in Nigeria, back home in Nigeria. The nature of the program is such that you don't graduate without taking a time out to do what they call a kind of, like a, a, a kind of a mentored ministry that we have it here. But I think the goal is to give you experience as a growing minister. And the nature of the program is such that you will be sent to work under an experienced minister. So in my own case, I went to Northeast, and there I was in a church, trying to learn ministry under an experienced minister. But there was this night that a woman came in the night, and when she came in the night, she came crying. I don't know what the prayer was all about, but she met with the pastor that I was working or receiving training under. And then after the time was over, he called me. After he had prayed with her and tried to comfort her the best way he could, he called me and he says, Peter, I know early mornings you are busy sleeping, partly because in the night you spend time studying or praying but I will plead with you to change your schedule because I will want you to go with me to visit a family. This woman that came had problem in our home. And in obedience, I did what he asked me. And I walked up early enough just to see that I joined him for that little uh, trip. Now, when we went to the house, before we went, we were walking on the road and he was taking the time to intimate me on all that he had in terms of discussions with the woman. And he told me so many things that she told him. On arrival, we found the man trying to set the house in order, the children for school, and then the woman was seated somewhere at the end of the house. So when we came, the pastor invited them and we all sat in a round table. And then he asked her this question. You came to see me yesterday? She said, yes. Can you please tell me, to the hearing of your husband and in the presence of my colleague, everything you told me yesterday? And she narrated everything, just as she had told him. And afterward, he asked the husband, have you heard all that she has said? He said, yes. What have you to say? And when he opened his mouth to speak, and this is the breaking point, at least for me, he said, I am very glad and happy today that I have not only one pastor, but two pastors to listening to the story of my journey in this marriage and especially with this woman and he said pastor in the whole of scripture I have only a chapter in a book and a verse in the book that has kept me in this marriage and as he was talking I was listening to my heart because after the pastor told me what the woman had told him, I have concluded on the man that this must be a very wicked husband. Now I was young, both in age and in terms of training. But here we are, when the man opened his mouth to talk, he was thanking the Lord, not for the whole Bible, but for a chapter in the Bible and a verse in the Bible that kept him encouraged to stay with his marriage up until now. And he made reference to the book of Job, where Job had to say that despite all of my afflictions, so long as the bread of God is still in me, my tomorrow may change. And so he was living with this woman in the hopes that his tomorrow will change. In other words... He was living with this woman with a hope that she will change. And so when he said this, I was really touched. And the lesson I drew was that it is not always wise to draw conclusions. For me, primarily, it is not always wise to draw conclusions just by hearing only from one a party, especially when people have issues together. Now, I'm not bringing this story to say the women are always right, the men are always right. That is not what I'm trying to say. What I am trying to say is to draw our attention by way of introduction into the passage that is in our hands, that as human beings, we have the tendencies to be judgmental even when we don't have the facts on ground. And so, when God is saying "Judge not," God is not saying that we are not to judge completely. The spirit of this text is on condemnation. Now, the Sermon on the Mount, as we have been listening, the Bible says in the introduction of the Sermon of the Mount in chapter five, verse one, that Jesus was speaking to a crowd, but Can we be able to make distinctions about the crowds that people were talking to? Because in the concluding part of chapter 4, the Bible makes it very clear that Jesus did a lot of healings and the news about the healings spread all over. And so people who had health issues were rushing to see how they could get attention from Jesus. But we need to see the kind of people that had made this crowd. Because sometimes the temptation is Jesus was talking to his disciples. In one sense, it is true. But the zealots were there. The Sadducees were there. The Pharisees were there. The disciples were also there. But much more, the disciples that were designated apostles were also there. Now, I have sat in your midst and I have listened to messages from this pulpit. I know sometimes when Pastor Tana Pastor John, already I preaching, I know when they are making a general statement. This is Take this as a crowd. I know when they are making a general statement. But I know within the teachings that they are making at this point a specific word, a specific address, maybe addressing a specific people. We have college students here. And I know when they are talking to college students, I know when they are talking to married couples, I know when they are talking to intending couples, and I know when they are talking to the church in general. And so, who are the people? Turn with me to chapter 5 or chapter 4 of Matthew. I will read from verse 23. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction amongst the people, 24. So his fame prayed throughout all Syria. And they brought him, all the sick, those afflicted with virus, diseases, and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics, and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. He sat down, and his disciples came to him, and he began to. So we can identify the nature of the crowd that Jesus was talking to. Now, for whatever reason they were approaching Jesus, Jesus had this to tell them, that by coming and believing in me or by following me, more is required and expected of you. In other words, you are identifying with a king, you are identifying with a kingdom, and as far as life in that kingdom is concerned, This is how you are to live. And so we have had messages all through, but this time around, Jesus is talking about what? The idea of passing judgment onto one another. And I can assure you that he is talking to the community of believers here. He says, do not judge. Judge not that you may not be judged. Now it is very clear from here that Jesus' action or the action of God is always motivated by our own actions. Judge not, so you may not be what? You may not be judged. It says forgive and you shall be forgiven. God is motivated most of the times to act after we have acted. Now, when we look at this scripture very well, we can divide the passage in our hands into three. The first is a prohibition and that we can see from verse 1 and 2. Judge not that you may not be judged for with the judgment you pronounce you will be judged and with the measure you use it will be measured to you. But the second section is an admonition. And the admonition here is why do you But you see the admonition is stretched further to give us a further warning in verse 6. Do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. In the days of Jesus, the moral climate at that particular time is more of hypocrisy. And that we can see with the Pharisees. The Pharisees were ones, even though they seemed to be the most closest to the Lord, but the Pharisees were the ones that were farther, much farther away from the Lord. And so everything about the sermon of the mount is talking about a hard issue here. It's a hard issue that Jesus is trying to address. Now, one person that has faced the worst condemnation in the days of the Bible was Jesus himself. And he faces condemnation much more by the Pharisees, including the Sadducees, if you will permit me. Take, for instance, before he left Nazareth, the Bible says he went into the temple and the scroll was handed over to him. And once he opened the scroll and read it, in conclusion, he says, in me, this scripture has been fulfilled. And the next reference that he had was the fact that people were confused about his identity and is claimed as the Messiah from where? Because of his family background. And he receives all kinds of judgments. In the temple again, he was there trying to heal on the Sabbath. And he says, If you circumcise someone on the eighth day so that the law of Moses can be kept, how much more valuable it is if I heal a whole man on the Sabbath. And so we see Jesus going through all kinds of condemnation by the religious leaders of his time. And so here also we have a scripture that Jesus is drawing attention here. The question is, who were the precise or particular people that he was addressing? The Pharisees? Or is the general judgment Jesus is talking about? John. Preach from chapter 6 last week when he was talking about the birds in the air and the lilies. Now, if we are to take it from that context, so much is being said about the birds and the lilies. The birds, they never sow. The birds, they never reap. The lilies, they never toll. They never spin. But in the case of the birds, they have so much even to store in the band. Now, if you look at the lives of the birds and the lilies, it is a total contrast with our lives as human beings. Now, if for any reason, because you are going through pains or through certain sufferings, and you begin to condemn God for extending such an opportunity to the birds to be able to not labor yet have enough for their care, you are reducing the birds almost to something lesser than what God has made the birds to be. But much more, you are condemning God's judgment in allowing that to happen. Rather, what God will be expecting is the fact that you and I are to learn from God, why is it so with the birds? And why is it different in my own case? A lesson is what God is expecting, but if we try to reduce the judgment of God by allowing that to happen, now one way or another, we are being judgmental, and it's like we are judging the character of God and his wisdom in allowing this to happen. We live as a community. God is a God in relationship there is no way you cannot live in i mean there is no way you can live in isolation we live as a community and sometimes the temptation is there because of the way we see and view things to be able to draw judgment either on our neighbors on our friends on our husbands and even people that we meet at work judgment is one thing we do every day. Like I am sharing from the story I had, I already had judged the man earlier before I gave him permission to even share his own story. But after hearing his own story, I have the temptation to look back at what I had said initially. You see there are things that are happening in this story. When God is talking about you having a sodas or a log in your eye and then you are not having the ability to see the tiny issues in the eye of your brother. Now brother is mentioned about three times here clearly defining the fact that God is talking about the community of believers. It is the community of believers that Jesus is addressing here. But you see, if you have a look in your own eye, or a speck in your own eye, and then your brother has a look in his own eyes, either way, what the Bible is teaching us here is that both looks as we can see are issues that people are struggling with. Take it as a problem or a spiritual problem. But the temptation, always, is that we try to see the issues in people's lives, forgetting the very issues that are in our own lives. In the case of your brother, what he is carrying is not something hidden from the society. In your own case also, what you are carrying is not a secret to the society. But we stand in a better position to advise and to offer counsel when we first look into our own lives and understand our fallenness to keep with God's word and standards. It is from there we can have the justification to be able to advise, to encourage, and to counsel. And when God is talking about you taking care of your own situation, before you even take care of that about your own brother, what Jesus is emphasizing here is that each time you are moved to help somebody concerning his spiritual struggles, it is expected that you do that in the spirit of humility. And the reason, obviously, is because the issue in the, in the life of your brother that is a motivation in your own life to pass judgment, you have so much of it. And so even if you are going there to help, you help in the spirit of humility, partly because you also have the issues that your brother is carrying. But may I ask, is that always the way we go about it? Is that always the way we go about it? You see, people will always want to be hard, And people will always want to be justified. It's a human temptation that we all carry. People will always want to be hard. than for others to be hard. Now, if at any time, Even when it is justified that you are on the right, it is expected that you see the struggles in the life of your brother with some sense of compassion. We judge people thinking about the judgment that has been expected on our own lives also. Now, God is not condemning judging, but he is condemning condemnation. We judge to condemn people. But when we judge to condemn people, we put even the calling of God upon our lives to disciple people at risk. Who will ever want to commit to the gospel And who will ever want to sit under you to be disciples? If all you can hear about the person's life, the drawing line is that you will judge at the end. At the end of it, we push people away. We make the gospel look something else and something different from what God had intended the gospel to be. Now, if God is saying we should not, what then is the motivation? What should motivate you, even when you see issues in a brother's life? Since it is clear from the scripture that chances are you have more issues in your own life than the one about your brother whom you are condemning. What should be the spirit under which you can approach people with issues like this in life? It is expected that we do that in love. Love must be the determining factor. Even if you go to help somebody, assuming that there's no condemnation attached to, deep in your heart, are you motivated by love? Or is it just that you want to hear the story about the person so that you play around with it? If you understand the love of God in the manner that the Bible has explained, You'll be careful in the way you see people's issues and even in the way you talk about the issues. We are not to be judgmental and especially judgmental by way of condemnation. You will have no gospel to share if all you know is to know about people's stories and lives and then draw a judgment on their own lives. But 90% of what we do most of the time is that we try to judge in the spirit of condemnation. And the condemnation here, when Jesus said that you not be judged, is futuristic in nature. God has the ultimate judgment of each and every life that exists on the face of this earth. And that is going to happen ultimately at the end. Another thing also, apart from love, the next motivation should be correction. You go to do that in the spirit of correction. You want to correct so that the person can see and change. Because you yourself have experienced the love of God You have tested of his forgiveness, and so you are motivated to bring that across to the person so the person can see the love of God and be willing to be open to the forgiveness that God has to offer. And the motivation, actually, in the second phase is to correct. Do we go to people? Do we hear? Do we see issues in people's lives, and we go there with the hope to correct Is it correction that is the motivation? Jesus warned against calling someone fool, but he referred to some people as as fools, even in the Bible. But what's the motivation? The motivation was to correct. Should be motivated by love and with the hope to correct the person. But as you are seated there, has that always been the motivation? If it is not in the spirit of love, if it is not with the hope to correct, what you will succeed in doing at many, if not at all times, is that you close the heart of the person completely to whatever you have come to offer, especially as the agent of the Lord to bring about salvation in the lives of many. Are there people whose hearts are closed? because of you? Are there people whose hearts are closed because of me? What do we know about each other? And how are we handling it? What do you hear? And what's always your response? Now this is it, and until you apply this pre- practically, it's very hard to experience the blessings there. The log in your eye, or the sawdust in your eye, and the log in the eye of your brother—I mentioned that is a community issue. Now, even when a community is there to help a brother and you joined to participate, no one may know your inner struggles as a person, but you do yourself. And so if you are offering a helping hand to restore a brother, to correct a brother in the spirit of love, your life always stands before you as a mirror. And if you can truly look at your own life, At the time you are joining the community of believers to take action or decision against that brother or about that brother with a hope to correct and in love, you will always do that with humbleness because your life is there standing before you as a mirror. Without being told, just have a reflection. Are you in the midst? of people when judgment is being passed, and you find someone being judged or condemned over issues that you are struggling with, how do you feel? If you can have an introspection of your own life, look inward, you'll be humbled. Because if it is known, then one way to the other, you will be placed alongside the person and be condemned. And the fact that it is not known It's not a reason for pride, if anything at all, is a reason to look back to God, that I am just but like this person. Is there anything you can do with me to be a part in helping to correct this brother? But even as I try to join others in helping him to get corrected, I need your correction as well. The one thing, one scripture that explains this more powerfully is John chapter 8, where we have the issue about the woman that was caught in the act of adultery. Turn with me to Matthew, to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. They went each to his own house. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning he came again to the temple. All the people came to him and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placing her in the midst. They said to him, Teacher, This woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now, in the law of Moses, or now in the law of Moses, commanded us to stone such women. So, what do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go. And from now on, sin no more. I read this scripture to draw our attention to just one thing. If you look at the story, how they left is of importance. How they left is of importance. The Bible says they left beginning with the oldest to the younger one. The oldest to the younger one is not about age. It's much more about their exposure to the law and their experiences about the teaching of the law. Because in the law, it is mentioned that when you accuse someone falsely, the judgment that you intended to be passed on that person shall in turn be passed on you. So the one who understood this law very, very well, the one more experienced about the law understood that what they are presenting before Jesus, the goal was for this woman to be condemned. If truly this is the case, once you are caught in that act, you will be condemned. And so if at the end of it, it was a false accusation in attempt to see that this woman is condemned, if at the end of it it has been assessed to be a false accusation, what do you expect? The date that they wanted to be pronounced on her shall in turn be passed on to them. And knowing fully well where Jesus was going with that statement, the one who understood the law very well was the first to leave, following the order. Now, sometimes we want to look good before people. And that's why Jesus said, Judge not by appearances. And like mentioned, that the someone on the Mount. Is dealing with the issue of the heart. As you are comfortable with judgment being passed on people, you are also being reminded of the pending judgment that is awaiting you. If we live our lives condemning people and not go to people with a hope to love them and to correct them, I do not know, but one thing that I know is that we may have a judgment that is pending because God will want our actions to be motivated by love, but much more, we should approach people with their struggles and challenges with a hope to correct them so they can experience in turn the love we have experienced and be corrected from that part of sin that is holding them back. But may I say here that the last verse of our text, verse 6, is clear. Do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. May I say here also that When God is talking about the pigs and is talking about the dogs, the reference actually is to human beings. It is a metaphorical admonition, but the reference is actually to human beings. And what is a pile? pile is anything that is important. And what is more important than the law of God? Now, there's a limit to brotherliness, even in the hope to correct a brother. There are some people who may persist and insist on their sins and on their ways of life. When you find a strong hesitance to the application of God's word, then you need to be careful. Because the tendency is that even the word of God that you are trying to use in helping to correct somebody in the spirit of love can be trampled upon. Do we have and unseen people who may even abuse believers, the church, leadership in the church, and even the word of God? Do we have people like that? We do have people like that. Now, when someone has reached that point in life, then one has to be guided in the way you try to present the truth of the word of God. Before the judge, note that Jesus is talking about has nothing to do with church discipline, if anything at all. Church discipline should be enforced in a church, and all with the hope toward, with the hope to correct an erring believer, and for the purity of the church of God. Even as you try to help your brother, as well realizing your own struggles, there's a limit to which you can help. Some who might have reached the point of apostasy. Some people may say they don't want to hear anything, they don't want any advice. When you insist, if care is not taken, they may act on you in a more persecuting way. And so God is drawing a lesson here. We need a lot of wisdom, we need a lot of discernment in the way we treat or we try to correct people. And that is what God is saying here. I don't know what your experiences are. It's possible that you have tried to help someone, even though realizing that you are a fallen creature? you have your own struggles, but you are motivated by love in order to correct. Some of you might have tried. Maybe the reactions you got was not quite encouraging. If such is the case, you need a lot of wisdom and a lot of discernment as well. Because if care is not taken, it might turn back to be insultive on you and even the word of God that you are trying to present might be abused. Any experience like that? Now, if Jesus is telling us not to be judgmental by way of condemnation, Paul understands this very much. And it says that in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. That I charge you before Christ, who will judge the living and the dead by his appearing and his kingdom. Ultimate judgment is in the hands of God. The offer, efforts we can make is to try to help people in the spirit of love and with the hope to correct, but more importantly, looking at our own lives also, that we are undeserving, except for the grace of God that has positioned us to be agents of change in the community of believers and even beyond. That humble spirit should be expected, but never approach to help anybody or condemn anybody feeling in yourself that you are right or that you are okay. May I say something before even I close? Sometimes we may not know that some of the sins we see in the lives of people, it may have nothing to do with our own lives. But the truth is, if God is to look at you all through, Before the time he founded you, he extended grace and love. Chances are that anything the person you are about helping is doing, you could as well do if grace has not found you and if grace has not found me. The grace of God alone Is the only thing that has reduced the stretching of our continuing life of sin. And so we are all found at different times, different points, different levels. The woman that was caught in the act of adultery, the Pharisees might not have lived that way, But we all know so much about their lives. Some of us may say, I've never been a drunkard. I've never lived a life of immorality. I've never... Thanks be to God. But we are to say that with grace. If the grace of God has not found you, the very things you are proud about that you have not done, you could have done it. And I will support that with scripture. When Abraham went to Gera and he presented his wife as his sister before Abimelech, you know, one of the things that he was using before God was that, I am what? I'm innocent. In the first place, he told me that she is his wife. I haven't done anything with her. You no, know, the beauty of that scripture was the response of God. He says, I was the one who stopped you. In other words, without my help, you would have gone beyond. This justification that you are presenting before me, you wouldn't have had the courage to. But I was the one who had stopped you. We don't know what God has stopped us from the salvation we all had received. If anything at all, we should be humble. We should be humble. If we demonstrate the love of God in sincerity and if our response to issues that we see in the lives of people is done, the spirit to correct, so much will be happening and people will find the church a place to come, but much more, people will find the gospel as something to embrace. That is the beauty of the gospel. After all, what is the gospel all about? What is it all about? Jesus said, I have not come for those who are well. But I have come for those who are sick. Do you understand how fallen you are? Have you been motivated by love and a hope to correct, as we listen to the stories of people, or are you living in the spirit of condemnation, judging people to condemn them? I say this story on purpose, that that was my thought when the pastor called me. If I had no opportunity to be in that meeting I will leave condemning that man you know, but the woman was the one at fault at least from what I understood and I have drawn the conclusion that I will never listen to story from one hand and draw conclusion without giving the other person the opportunity Nicodemus said that in John chapter 7 concerning Jesus Can we judge someone? Does the law allow us to judge someone without first giving the person a hearing? There are people in the prisons. The most painful thing is to be condemned when you are right. Not everybody that is there that is there because of any fault of theirs. Sometimes. And that is why Jesus said, consider those in prison as if in prison with them. And even in terms of judgment, he said, when you judge yourself, you will not be judged. When you hear things about people, be honest before God that that could be me outside of your grace. Fill me with your love that I might have words from you to talk to. Put your life in the mirror. It will humble you. And the strength of the power of God will walk through everything you say to the breaking of the hearts of me. Have you been condemned? There are people who are hurting because they have been condemned. Ordinarily, even within a family cycle, is a hard thing. Are you filled with the love of God? What do you see and hear around you? God is challenging us today to make them warm, to encourage people from the love we have received. And to move into the society as agents of God's grace, to give encouragement and hope not to condemn. When we condemn, we are putting at risk the ministry of Jesus. If judgmental, by way of condemnation, is the motivation, we are putting the ministry of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ at risk. Because people will think all that the gospel is about is condemnation. But when they know it is about love, demonstrated by God for the salvation of mankind. Maybe more doors will be open and people will find you a tool to help them through their struggles and journeys in life. It should be emphasized, however, there's a limit to brotherly love. There's a limit to which you can help people. Even if you have the motivation to do that from the angle of love, and with the hope of correction. Some people may resist it, may refuse it, and say, don't say that. I don't want to hear that any longer. It's done with that. And it is the counsel that God is giving here. Don't give dogs what is holy. And I said God is talking about human beings here. The book of Revelation has it very clear. It says, outside of God's kingdom in eternity, outside of those who are within his fall. it says, outside there are the dogs, and he listed what that means. Those who have done this, those who have done that, and the rest of it. And why are they being referred to as dogs? Dog is a pet, is a household pet, but is never allowed within the temple area. A pig is an unclean thing. That is for God to do, and we can know when we get to the point that people don't take our approach to them to help them with their own issues. Even when we realize we are fallen creatures, but we have the grace from the word of God to give encouragement and hope for them to be corrected. The moment that is being rejected, then you need a lot of discernment, You need a lot of wisdom, and you need to be in the spirit of prayer if I told you should continue with that. Otherwise, the reaction that you are going to receive might not be helpful. In fact, if anything, you will allow people to say all kinds of things and words against the teaching of the Word of God. How are you doing this? Is there someone that you have hurt? Is there anyone hurting? Because he or she has been condemned, but worst, enough, is that condemnation coming from you? You have judged somebody to such an extent that you don't see God able to walk and to do some work of corrections in the life of the person. I have a neighbor back in Nigeria, and I will say this in closing. I had the boldness and the courage to preach to everybody, but not that brother. Incidentally, his name is Beatrice. Beatrice is in Hausa language is Peter. So to some extent, he shares some, bears my name. Beatrice in Hausa is Peter. Beatrice, smokes Indian hymns, he does all kinds of things. But I have judged Beatrice, since I don't have what I believe could do anything to change Beatrice. To my surprise, one day I was in church and the next person in my front was Beatrice. How Beatrice came to faith, I don't know. But here before, and I think God did that on purpose. To be honest with you, Beatrice rose to be a very committed missionary In fact, he had asked them once, and I was in the hospital to pray with him. And he was talking to God, Lord, how will this converse be doing today, Sunday? Send someone to give them your word. And and I had him. But initially, that was someone I condemned. I didn't even have the courage to talk to him about scripture. I never made the attempt. So I can't refer to Beatrice as the pig and the dog that God is referring to here. I never made the attempt. You see, the issue is we have addressed people as pigs and dogs, people who will trample on the word of God without even making the attempt to give them the opportunity. Is that your story? Is that your story? Petrus grew to be so committed, but that was somebody I condemned that I don't see him opening his heart to first. I mean, first to God's word and his grace. Even when I have not attempted. This is the judgment that God is talking about. We condemn people. Even from a distance. We judge by mere appearances. Is that your story? Let's pray. Let's pray. I just want you to talk to yourself. Father, we just want to give thanks to you for the truth we have heard and learned. We pray that, Lord, you will guide us and you will help us to be motivated by love. And to see our lives first as we approach to talk to others. Deliver us from the spirit of judgmentalism. Fill us with your love and help us to offer your love to people first. All with a hope that they can be corrected by you through the working power of your grace, by your spirit. Address these issues in our hearts and lives, Lord. And help us to take this scripture closely as we study it so we can come under conviction about how we had lived and about how you will want us to live. Correct and make the changes where necessary, but help us to live here humble that we first experienced your love. Lord, your love has come to correct and to change our lives from the directions that we have taken away from you. Lord, use us as agents that we'll have others, Lord, on this path and in this journey with us. Towards your will and by your spirit, we thank you, Lord, for answers to prayers. It's a simple prayer, but honor it for Christ's sake. Christ's name.